0: Midday on the Rural Radio Network takes to the airwaves as we get going for another Monday, another week. Straight ahead, lots of information to share with you here, and uh, not the least of which, I, I guess, we need to at least acknowledge the tragedy. The uh, absolute senselessness of uh, what has gone on in las vegas last
1: night it's unreal
2: well in fact the last place that i uh when i was in vegas last place i stayed was at the mandalay bay okay. and um uh, opposite side of it and yeah it's hard to believe
0: yeah it's um still information coming in and uh no ideas on why but is there ever no
1: well, and Las Vegas is such a hub for people all over the world. I mean, it just this will affect yeah. people, yeah. not just in Nevada, but all over the place. The
2: shock waves of this are, are just unbelievable.
0: Yep. Well, I guess the uh, the best of what can come of something like this is that it uh, it does tend to bring us together, and if there's any time we maybe needed that, it might be now. Yeah. Sure. Uh, let us move ahead in uh, what is right at the uh, doorstep for us here, information wise, in the agriculture world. Let's go over to Shaley Peters today.
1: Yes, we've got midday lined up for you. We'll, uh, of course, have ag news here at 1213. At uh, 1219, Carla Jenkins, a UNL cow calf specialist, will be on talking to us. They've got an upcoming uh, range beef cow symposium in Cheyenne this year. They alternate. Uh, between a couple of different locations every other year and this year's it's in Wyoming a lot of great stuff coming um, along with that they're doing kind of transitioning to some more hands-on stuff so she'll give us an update on that at 12:45 Susan Littlefield will have our newsmaker with producer and common ground volunteer Diane Carr uh, she was recently featured in a national video talking about agriculture or AG vocating as it were mm-hmm. um, and common grounds a really neat thing so I'll be interested to see see what all she has to say about this national video and then we'll have Ag News back for you at 117. I know Exarbin wrapped up in Grand Island this week and I was in there on Saturday visiting with one of the uh, head guys and he said um, a lot of good feedback coming. Exhibitors were thrilled to be able to just pull right up with their trailers. The setup (laughs) was much easier this year at the state fairgrounds so we'll have some Exarbin talk during that 117 Ag News feature as well.
0: All right, thanks Shaley and uh, Scott for buster before we get to sports here the yeoman's work on weather last night thank you well,
2: thank you there was a, there was a lot to talk about that wasn't hard so uh, a <laughs> lot to talk about for sure and so. in sports tell you what the nebraska volleyball team's uh, playing pretty good right now three beat three top ten teams i actually i gotta say i kind of gave up on them in wisconsin i thought they were done well, a lot of people did they in <laughs> wisconsin is this monster middle at six eight and yeah, and yeah. Uh, causing all kinds of problems but they hung in there and came back. The Husker football team getting ready to go against Wisconsin. They're installed as an 11-point underdog yeah. in that game. Yeah. So that doesn't happen very often. And well, last thing, Kansas City Royals retooling
0: a little bit. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Could be <laughs> yeah. interesting. Coach Riley, though, likes uh, where mm-hmm. his team is at right now, and i gotta, I got to think so, too. I mean, they're, yeah. they're set for upset. I hope so. I
3: happen. hope
0: so. He's got to say that. Quickly, Bob, we've got some business.
3: The September overall index for Nebraska. The Midwest economy report that Ernie Goss oversees, is up. Also, U.S. stocks are on track for more record highs.
0: All right. All this and more coming up and coming your way on today's Midday. A lot of times this time of year we're talking about the term covering the spread. Yeah, well, no kidding. <laughs> I'm not sure that we can cover the weather spread today, Paul Perkins.
4: The big spread on those temperatures for today. 43 right now in Kimball, but it's 75 in the southeast part of Nebraska at uh, Fall City and 76 <laughs> in uh, Beatrice right now. <laughs>
0: oh, my heavens. It's uh, your ag weather <laughs> with Paul Perkins brought to you by Coolman uh, Repair. Now, uh, how cool it gets here, I don't know. Are we looking at frost anywhere in our immediate Probably
4: energy? in the Nebraska panhandle tonight, which that's not uh, been out of the ordinary lately. They have seen some temperatures down into the low 30s, but they have snow in south-central Wyoming and in north-central Colorado. <laughs> yeah,
0: you were reading some figures there for us. Yeah,
4: 18 inches in Steamboat Springs, so yeah. it's time to go skiing. I
0: was say, the skiing industry <laughs> is probably turning somersaults this
4: and, morning. And already three inches of snow to the west of Cheyenne. But otherwise, some light rain continuing to fall into the, the northwest Nebraska panhandle. Most of us are dry right now in between uh, systems for tonight. We already have those temperatures into the 70s and 80s over southeast Nebraska. And much of central and east Kansas already touching 82 in the far southeast part of Kansas. The front that brought us the thunderstorms last night currently stalled out over south-central Nebraska and north-central Kansas. It's going to move slightly back to the north, and we will see the likelihood of more thunderstorms redeveloping later today and tonight that will track to the southeast. We'll see some waves of energy off of an area of low pressure, a closed low that's having a hard time moving. It's currently centered over Wyoming. We could see some strong or severe storms later today. And that looks like the most likely area going to be from about Holdridge down to Norton and Phillipsburg, south to Garden City and Dodge City. Temperatures today, a whole gambit of the spread here. Temperatures ranging from... The 60s north of this front to the 80s south of the front. That front will push farther southeast tomorrow for a cool day. Rain expected to increase in coverage by tomorrow night. And then again Wednesday night as that front lifts back to the north as a warm front. And we'll be just kind of fishtailing off and on over the next few days to keep that chances for off and on rain going Uh, for the next several days, including likely chances of rain in central Nebraska for Wednesday night into Thursday night. Now, this slow-moving area of low pressure and up front will move to the east for Thursday and Friday for another chance of rain. Once that low and front exit, we will see some dry conditions over the weekend. Temperatures this week expected to be pretty much in the 60s for the most part. Then we'll warm up for the weekend into the 70s where we'll have a lot more sunshine. Now, the long-term forecast for Nebraska indicates temperatures will be cooler than normal, and that's actually for Nebraska and Kansas, cooler than normal this weekend through October 15th overall. And in central Nebraska, our daytime highs in that period usually average in the upper 60s with overnight lows mostly around 40. There is some good news to get the fields dry after these upcoming rain chances this week. It looks like right now near normal to drier than normal rainfall expected in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the 15th. The weather factors affecting the markets today include a widely variable rain pattern in the Midwest and beneficial rain falling across Brazil. More rain will return to the southern plains into the upper Midwest. Later in the week, that includes the central and east corn belt that has been dry for several weeks. In the western Midwest, the stretch of, <clears throat> excuse me, rainy weather will continue to disrupt harvest. For the meantime, though, the good harvest progress is being made in the drier eastern Midwest. The Delta and southeast also expect another week of dry and mild conditions to continue to help their harvest. But that dry weather actually interfering with grain shipping, barge freight rates, hit a three-year high last week as water levels on the lower Mississippi River fell to near-record lows. Now, later today and tomorrow, significant early-season snowfall can be expected across much of western and central Montana. That's where some locations could receive 8 to 12 inches on the backside of this low that's bringing us the rain. Elsewhere in the northern plains, a drier trend this week will renew some harvest activity. Towards the end of the week, mild weather should return to the plains and much of the west. Soil moisture in central Brazil is continuing to improve, and that will lead to more early soybean planting after rain over this last weekend, and some early corn planting already underway in central Argentina, where soil moisture is at favorable levels.
0: All right, and brought to you by Coolman Repair, your ag weather every day at this time during the midday program. I had the, uh, the mixed fortune uh-huh. of having been uh, in liberal Kansas yesterday uh-huh. uh, evening about 6 o'clock. And so the the goal was to get along that u s 83 line coming up through that. It felt like surfing the back end <laughs> of that uh, of all of that rain and stuff and and some people got a little bit of damage out of that, I really.
4: Idea. So a little bit on the rough going to yeah. do some travel in there. Yeah, we've had reports of semi-drivers having to be pulled mm-hmm. off the road last week. Or well, last um, night.
0: Plan on not doing that again. <laughs> we got that stalled uh, cool front there, and that's going to probably give us a, a repeat of last night. To
4: yep, next. that front is just going to continue to fluctuate through the region. We'll see those waves of energy off that low to the west, and that'll keep that weather very unsettled this week.
0: All right, that's the way it l- stacks up for this time around. And when you need weather
4: anytime, you could go to krvn.com.
1: Flared at a recent Senate Agriculture Committee hearing over whether the Department of Agriculture will seek more money to deal with the opioid, a, opioid, opioid epidemic in rural areas, highlighting key Farm Bill funding fights still to come. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look at Ag News. Agriculture Secretary Sunny Perdue held a listening session on the opioid crisis earlier and USDA... Re- Runs rural development programs to deal with the drug treatment, prevention, and recovery. But top Senate Ag Democrat and appropriator Patrick Lee of Vermont argues it's not enough. he presses Purdue's rural, rural development assistant and has lit repeatedly to say if her agency will ask for more money.
5: You have my commitment to steward whatever resources are provided.
6: Are you going to push for us providing those resources? <laughs> You have I'm, wear, my, I'm wearing my hat as the Vice Chairman of the Appropriations Committee now. You
5: have
7: my commitment to steward the resources that are provided.
6: Well, I, I would say to steward them, you're going to have to get them. And I, I realize the restraints, but I've talked with Secretary Perdue about this too.
1: Senate Ag Chair Pat Roberts intervened telling Leahy
8: Senator, I'm sure that you and I will receive a, a call from Ann, if not the secretary for adequate funding on this most important topic, and we're united
6: in that effort. Yeah, this is, this is not a Republican or Democratic thing. We're, we're all concerned.
1: House and Senate appropriators have already reserve, reversed the president's proposed cuts in key rural development programs, including water and sewer and other grant and loan programs. The U.S. Beef Roadshow, a successful launch for market development efforts in China, an initial and ambitious step toward developing demand for U.S. beef in China, was taken this week as the U.S. Beef China Roadshow, a week-long series of events organized by the U.S. Meat Export Federation, brought exporters and importers together in Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou. These activities were made possible through support from the Nebraska Beef Council. The beef state is looking for to add more dairy processing to its value added livestock portfolio bryce duskett has more for us
9: representatives of grow nebraska dairy coalition will attend the world dairy expo in madison wisconsin this week to meet with prospective dairy processors as part of an aggressive and integrated recruitment effort Grow Nebraska Dairy is promoting the quote first mover advantage which is a concept that the next dairy processor to locate in the state will have their pick of the litter in terms of a location as well as the first opportunity to establish relationships with the state's current dairy farmers to supply their milk. The group will tout Nebraska's distinct advantage in terms of dairy processing. Those advantages include a good supply of high quality milk low energy costs, abundant water, an attractive regulatory environment, business incentives, market access, and communities already vetted and on record as being willing and ready to welcome a dairy processor. Grow Nebraska Dairy includes representatives from the State Dairy Association, Nebraska Department of Agriculture, Nebraska Department of Economic Development, Nebraska Public Power District, the University of Nebraska, and the Alliance for the Future of Agriculture in Nebraska. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit.
1: And the Senate Agriculture Committee will consider the nomination of Bill Northey and Greg Ibaugh this Thursday. Northey was nominated by the Trump administration to be the Department of Agriculture Undersecretary for Farm and Foreign Agricultural Services. Meanwhile, IBA was nominated to Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs. The hearing is set to take place this Thursday, October 5th at 9.30. That's a look at your ag news. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network.
3: You crop growers often find the fall a good time to take soil samples from your fields for an analysis, using that information to map out your nutrient management strategy for next year's production. The composition of that sample is vitally important, which puts the accent on sampling technique. From Kansas State University, this is Agriculture Today. Eric Atkinson here. K-State Crop Nutrient Specialist Doravar Ruiz Diaz talks about the number of soil cores necessary from a
10: given area of a field to account for nutrient variability. One of the um, key factors there that we need to keep in mind is how many subsamples we are collecting that's going to go into that one sample. And ideally, we typically say, you know, for an area that you are sampling, we want to see at least 15 to 20 subsamples. Uh, that would be a soil core that's going to go into that sample that you are sending it to the lab. At that point, you start to basically have a representative sample, a uniform sample, that's going to give you the average value for that particular area that you are uh, planning to treat. So take as many subsamples as possible, a minimum of 15 to 20 is something that we recommend. Uh, less than that, we will probably see a lot of variability that ultimately is going to affect your fertility management. As for the depth of the core sample, it depends, says Dorovar, on the nutrient of interest. For immobile nutrients uh, like uh, phosphorus, potassium, zinc, uh, KSA recommendation is that we want to collect a six-inch sampling depth. The key is really, again, try to be consistent. As we are collecting that sample across the field, be consistent, and, and again, that way we are not introducing another variability that's coming from uh, that stratification of nutrients that we see in the field. So, yeah, that's another dimension of of variability that we have, not just the the variability across the field, but also what's happening here you know, in the soil profile in terms of, of nutrients and especially the immobile nutrients.
3: The sample, though, should be deeper for nutrients which are more
10: mobile in the soil. We do see a lot of value from those profile uh, sampling uh, for mobile nutrient like nitrogen is, is one of the key ones. But we also see um, a lot of value in chloride in certain parts of the state. Uh, sulfur is something that we see more and more. In that kind of scenario where we are dealing with a, a mobile nutrient, then we want to really look at something, a profile sampling, ideally about 24 inches. I know in some situations with dry soils and so on, we may not be able to do that. But uh, I know many producers that will collect 80 inches or or something, whatever is is possible, and still has a lot of value uh, in terms of seeing a little bit more what you have in that entire profile for those mobile nutrients. Your local Extension Agricultural Agent can help with advice
3: on soil sampling. That's K-State's Dorvart Ruiz Diaz, and this has been Agriculture Today over the K-State Radio Network.
0: Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports today with Jason
11: George. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Husker volleyball team rallied for a win in five sets over Wisconsin on Saturday night. And head coach John Cook says it's been quite the last couple of weeks for his very young team.
4: All I know is uh, our team just beat three top five or top seven teams in eight days. And uh, I know that's never been done before. I like to know any team has done that in any sport. So, impressive job. and And we just... You know, to be up to play those three teams at that level in eight days is is a. You could tell we just weren't ready to go tonight and sluggish and slow, but uh, they found a way to, to wear them down and get the crowd into it, and we started playing better and we played great in the fifth.
11: The Huskers will try to keep it going this week with matches against Michigan State and Iowa. Nebraska linebacker Ben Stilley was honored today by the Big Ten for his performance against Illinois as he was named Big Ten Freshman of the Week. A Redshirt freshman from Ashland shined with four tackles, including three tackles for loss in his first career sack and the Huskers' big win over Illinois. Alabama still owns a sizable lead in the Associated Press College Football Poll following Saturday's rout of Mississippi. Crimson Tide claimed 44 of 61 first-place votes while second-ranked Clemson picked up the remaining 12. Third-ranked Oklahoma is followed by Penn State with Georgia climbing two spots to fifth. Washington, Michigan, TCU, Wisconsin, and Ohio State round out the top ten. Well, the Big 12 Conference and Fox Sports announced today that K-State's October 14th home game against TCU will kick off at 11. And that will be televised nationally by FS1. Eric Hosmer, Mike Mustakas, Lorenzo Kane, and Alcides Escobar tipped their caps and likely said goodbye to Royals fans yesterday. And then the playoff-bound Arizona Diamondbacks into the regular season with a 14-2 win over the Royals. The foursome joined the Royals in 2011 and keyed the team's run into consecutive World Series including the title in 2015. Manager Ned Yost pulled the group out together with one out in the fifth inning and Hosmer says that was a special moment. It's just
8: so many crazy emotions that's uh, going through this day and uh, you know, we've been through a lot as a group and um, you know, to go out there and receive the ovation that we got from the fans. It just uh, it meant they appreciated what we did, and we appreciated their support with us. And, you know, that's all we did is just try to go out there each and every day and play hard.
11: Kansas City end of the year disappointing 80-82. and 82. In other Royals news, they announced today that pitching coach Dave Island and bench coach Don Watumatsu will not have their contracts renewed for next year. That's a the good sports. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the
12: Rural Radio Network. Mostly cloudy skies tonight with a chance of showers and thunderstorms. Lows from the 30s in the Panhandle to the 60s in the southeast. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts today reacted to the deadly shootings in Las Vegas last night, saying that citizens need to be aware of their surroundings when they attend similar
6: events. When you have somebody who acts in the way that apparently there's just a single person did... You're always at risk, no matter where you are, and I think that's one of the things that we have to just remain vigilant on about. And again, you know, encourage um, you know people to remain vigilant with regard to when they're at large public gatherings. Certainly, we look at issues with regard to security uh, all the time to see how we can improve things, just like in all of our other agencies. The
12: shooting left at least 58 people dead at an outdoor music festival and is considered the deadliest in modern U.S. history. More than 500 people were taken to hospitals in the aftermath of last night's shooting. President Donald Trump is calling it an act of pure evil. Nebraska lawmakers want to consider the positives and negatives of repealing the state's personal property tax. Jim Vocal, the executive director of the Platt Institute for Economic Research, says the institute isn't necessarily calling for a repeal, but is looking to reform it.
13: Uh, So as companies want to potentially invest in new equipment, new technology, the fact that we have a tax here with the tangible personal property in other states, either have a less amount or have repealed it completely, puts us at another competitive disadvantage uh, because what we are doing is potentially uh, business owners or uh, a farmer that wants to buy a combine uh, is delaying the purchase of new technology or new equipment because of the unfortunate tax situation.
12: The tax is imposed on office computers, furniture, farm equipment, and other business property. The Kansas Supreme Court is preparing to rule on whether a new public school funding law enacted by legislators this year complies with the Kansas Constitution. The court announced it would issue its ruling this afternoon on whether the law is sufficient in phasing in a $293 million increase in aid to public schools over two years. The court also is considering whether the per-student formula established by legislators distributes the money fairly so that poor school districts don't fall behind wealthier ones. The justices ruled in March that Kansas' then $4 billion a year in aid to its 286 school districts was inadequate, Four school districts that sued the state in 2010 argued that lawmakers needed to phase in an increase of at least $900 million over two years. Breaking stories, weather, and traffic when you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
14: Well, imagine, if you will, the opportunity to tell the story of agriculture, something that you live every day. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network, and Diane Carr joins us now, a producer from Nebraska who's got the opportunity to be on the, the big screen, shall we say, and being a part of a Common Ground video that's recently aired and has been bouncing around social media. And Diane, what a neat opportunity for you to be a part of Common Ground, to be able to tell the story about what you do in your operation every day.
7: I, I appreciate the opportunity to be... Um, part of Common Ground, it's volunteer farm women that um, serve as a resource for people. Um, so they have a, a, a good, solid, credible place to go when they have questions about their food or how their food is grown, and then getting to tell the story um, through the video format, I felt like it was representative not just of our farm, but of um, farmers in Nebraska, and just you know, I think in the United States in general. Um, you talk to farmers, I think they're all kind of um, cut from the same cloth. Um, we love what we do. And taking care of our resources um, is, is just part of that.
14: Tell me what you like about being involved in Common Ground.
7: I like being able to um, have a conversation um, with people when they have questions. I think people are genuinely interested in um, agriculture and farming and learning about that process. And then just to be able to um, tell the stories to people about how much we care about what we do, about, you know, how much we care about um, our livestock and the things that we do throughout the year so that they can, they can thrive. Um, you know, how much we enjoy watching... The crops grow and and everything that goes into that whether it's how we um, you know manage you know uh, the irrigation um, piece of it um, the nutrient piece of it the seed technology you know there's so much thought and care that goes into all of that and I think when people realize you know how much how much goes into that they feel really confident about you know what they see on the farm's when they are driving back and forth from, you know,
14: wherever they're going. Tell us a little bit about about the farming operation that you're involved with.
7: Um, We farm um, in south-central Nebraska, um, south of Hastings, in the Blue Hill area, and uh, we raise um, corn and soybeans, um, mostly on irrigated acres. We also raise um, some wheat and grain sorghum and hay, and we're also um, these cow-calf producers as well.
14: How did it come about that you got to be involved in the video for Common Ground?
7: Um, the opportunity to be a part of that video um, was kind of um, came along as part of um, the United Soybean Board. Um, they invested in, in a couple of Common Ground sustainability videos this summer. Um, and what is driving that is food companies actually have a demand for sustainable ingredients. And that's due to increasing consumer demand, um, because um, we do have the measurements um, to be able to show that U.S. soy is sustainable. Um, it's in our interest to be able to to share that um, with food companies as well as consumers. And so, you know, like everything we do on the farm, and um, we're always you know making consistent small changes that point to um, continuous improvement. And, you know, I think, you know, having that opportunity to tell that story and relay that to the food companies and the consumers, you know, being, being a part of that video um, just really helps to, um, to share that story in another way that's relatable.
14: You know, it's one of the things I love about being involved in Common Ground is being able to tell the story of ag, but more importantly, being there for those questions that they might be a little uncomfortable to ask.
7: Absolutely. Um, and I, I think for consumers, you know, they may look at an issue, you know, like sustainability. And for them, it may, you know, if, if they're not connected to agriculture, that may mean something to them like recycling or um, maybe just, you know, reducing their consumption. But I think when we can take a term like sustainability and relate it to, you know, farming and everything that goes into that, you um, I think it's really important to discuss these issues that that are on the minds of of consumers and farmers alike and to be able to tell those stories because there are so many good things and positive things that are happening on our farms.
14: What well, what type of advice would you give to somebody out there that's wondering about what happens on the farm and maybe getting that dialogue going with somebody in the industry?
7: I think advice that I would give, um, first of all, is is to say that, you know, those Those questions they may have or, um, you know, ideas that they've run across, you know, it's always worth it to pursue that a little bit further and to look for, you know, good sources of information and to go to a farmer.
14: If you'd like to find out more information, thanks to Diane Carr, representative of Common Ground, go to findourcommonground.com. And there you can be linked with folks from all over the U.S. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
15: Time to get a review of these livestock futures trades. What things happened today with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe.
6: Yeah, big contrast today in uh, in livestock. Cattle lower, hogs higher. And not just a little. Uh, we have triple-digit losses in the cattle and triple-digit gains in the hogs. So, uh, very big contrast in livestock. Uh, in the markets today um, start out with the cattle a uh, little disappointing uh, failed at uh, trying to close gaps uh, ran into some selling They tried early uh, things uh, started off uh, for the most part mixed and then uh, tried to rally uh, in the cattle and the feeders but uh, th- that failed then the uh, cutouts came out at uh, noon and uh, they were a little bit lower and uh, not real big volume and down we came uh, so some liquidation so from uh, from a technical standpoint a, a disappointment uh, uh, not to be able to close the gap uh, left uh, back a couple weeks ago and uh, so uh, looking ahead uh, obviously no cash bids out there this early in the week and uh... So it'll be interesting to see how we fare tomorrow with uh, this kind of a start. Over in the hogs, a lot of talk about uh, the possibility of that low being in now, and it certainly brought on some pretty good buying. Cutouts were higher at noon, which helped support it, but it looked like uh, we had some uh, funds jumping back in the market on the long side, too, Helped help bolster the hog.
15: Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities at 800-328-0134. Dewey Nelson reporting.
5: The World Dairy Expo will kick off tomorrow and run October 3rd through the 8th in Madison, Wisconsin. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Trebella Guzman. The expo is a showcase for elite dairy cattle, modern technologies, and cutting-edge research, including the World Forage Analysis Super Bowl contest. Chris Cook, co-owner of RAC Farms in Lingle, Wyoming, will be among the contestants.
8: So we've sent in a sample that actually comes from fourth cutting in 2016, and we made the world the display there. So I think there's about 20 different uh, producers throughout the world that actually make that. And so we, we made that in the commercial category. Some hay that isn't actually—we don't do any tricks to it; it just come out of the bale. And so we just sent some that's usually fourth as our highest testing stuff. So we sent it in to see what would happen, and we made the, the display there again. So
5: Cook says several producers from the Goshen County, Wyoming area, have sent their alfalfa in over the past years and done well.
8: So we all just try to send it in and kind of see what happens compared to whatever other, other people are doing. But I know, you know, this is a good area for growing hay. A lot of it's due to low humidity and it just seems to help the test and lower moisture too so people can get it put up right so that's why we just sent it in and it's a pioneer number that we've been doing for a while and um actually some of our oldest stand there was, a, there was a stuff we sent because that was the final stuff we finished up last fall there were no tricks to it we just sent it in and so that was we wanted to see what would happen and and so we send another sample in. But
5: Ty Marker, owner of Marker Ag in Scotts Bluff, and a pioneer representative, explain some of the attributes of the alfalfa the expo judges will be looking at.
13: Alfalfa contest is is based on nutrient values and not necessarily a complete yield. So what they'll do in most areas are looking for relative feed values, the, making sure the fiber levels are at the right right line and uh, make sure the protein is, is where they need it to be relatively high protein they can go ahead and adjust the rations for that so consequently th- that's how they're getting measured you have different varieties much like what you do in corn but they're, they're measured on quality, they're measured on their dormancy, disease and pest resistance and that type of situation, more so than what in corn.
5: Marker explains more about the characteristics of the alfalfa and how it's not like typical alfalfas for other livestock.
13: This would be a high production uh, hybrid that would be known for dairy quality. Dairy quality alfalfa is very very highly managed product i mean it takes a lot of fertility it takes really precision in management knowing when to cut and how to get it put up in a proper time frame so the, the the varieties attribute a lot to it but the management is a huge huge part of it
1: cook
5: gives us an idea of how the contest works and why he believes he's got a winning forage well
8: a lot of it goes to what it tests. To start with so we, we know that it, it's testing high in relative value and relative quality and then they'll do a they do they base so much of the presentation on that and then they'll put it in these glass boxes and then they'll people can actually look at it and then it's based on visual um, appeal to on on how they feel so much of that criteria is based on and then they'll have a a champion when they're all done with that so
5: Cook entered the contest two years ago for 2014, but not for 2015. He's hoping to do well this year. The World Forage Analysis Super Bowl contest has seven different categories to compete for more than 25,000 in cash prizes. Forage experts from the U.S. Dairy Forage Research Center, University of Wisconsin, and other research centers are on hand to present information and to answer individual forage research questions at the Dairy Forage seminars. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shabella Guzman.
15: Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, a day of pain when it came to the corn, soybeans, and wheat futures, particularly spring wheat futures. With us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Did you think that last Friday's USDA Stocks Report Small Grain Summary was still detrimental to spring wheat futures and maybe that affected winter wheat as well?
16: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think that's especially you look at the the Kansas City market, really lagging behind Chicago. Now we're five under for December delivery, which is about as wide as we've been for some time. Um, it feels like the money flow on that high protein trade that really even myself thought would work going into the delivery periods. I think it still has a good chance of working. Isn't working so far. Uh, really, just the, the premium market falling apart. Um, you know, there's a, there was a thought a period of time that we were going to have a quarter or less, uh, of, uh, of spring wheat around, around 300 million bushels, uh, that would have been back in the height of the drought. Came in to be the contrary, crop survived, his uh, wheat is known to do, and uh, I think you'll see some further washout here. We did cover a price gap, uh, technically, that was in the trade going all the way back to June. So I think a lot of this is somewhat baked into the downside here, but it wouldn't shock me, given the amount of supply we have in the wheat, to see the sake tumble all the way down to 560, 570.
15: It noticed, uh, I should say, we noticed the outside markets probably had a big influence today.
16: Outside markets were, uh, were important. I think that dollar surging is something that we got to keep an eye on here. I look at the D-18 contract. That's a little bit of a head scratcher for me. You have markets that are uh, weak on the front month cash, but those deferreds are, with these carries really it out. It looks to me like the value of selling is, is in more the deferred contract than in the front month option prices are really cheap right now uh, around the front of the curve which tells me that there isn't much of a move priced in doesn't mean that won't happen but I think everybody's pretty content right now the sellers are looking at the supply coming uh, available uh, as of the December delivery for new crop the buyers are looking at the same exact thing and nobody's blinking quite yet. I think producers are probably gonna move first given that they have to sell it, but as we mentioned before we went on the phone, weather is a detriment right now, uh west. harvests has slowed substantially and it looks to be that way out east here. We're gonna get the same rains you guys are getting, uh, I think into Tuesday and Wednesday. So beans are really the story this week out there on the physical market. Massive uh yields is what we're hearing. Uh and then corn will take its turn a couple of weeks down the road, I imagine.
15: Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. It's hard to sustain a rally in corn and soybeans at harvest time, isn't it? Go to danielzagmarketing.com to get more information. Soybeans led the way down as far as the row crops, down 10 to 11 cents. I'm Dewey Nelson.